0: I was going to start the show by saying, hello, everybody, but then I realized I don't know if everybody's out there listening right now. It might just be one guy cleaning his garage, and he's like, what's up? Um, So hello to that guy or to you or to everybody. I'm open to this audience being any size it needs to be. So I did a reading last week for my new book, The Adventure Teen All-Stars. I did it in San Francisco at a bookstore, and it was awesome because the turnout was really great. I mean, you never know about these things. Sometimes they're crowded. Sometimes they're not, you know? Sometimes it's just you and a guy cleaning his garage. And he's like, what's up, dude? Keep reading. I'm just, you know, doing some stuff over here with the leaves. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Anyway, we did a Q&A after the reading. And this woman, she was probably in her 20s or so. She said to me, oh, you know, love the book. Great. What else do you have In the pipeline, what else are you working on? What can we expect to see from you in the future? I told her, well, I've got this new book in the works that I'm writing now. Plus, I have a new novel called Love Hop, which is out in the spring. And she goes, wow, Papa's been busy. Now, I'm rarely at a loss for words, but I was just for a second. Papa, to me, sounds like a guy with a big gray beard a cowboy hat, a prominent belt, perhaps. And he's about to go feed the chickens, milk the cows, maybe till the land. I imagine that he's good at wood carving, chopping things, drinking a lot of whiskey. That's Papa. I'm not Papa. I write books and I play tennis and I listen to George Michael on vinyl. Oh, and all the vinyl? Yeah, it's alphabetized. Uh, Anyway, yes, my new book, The Adventure Teen All-Stars, it's out now. We're making t-shirts. Those will be available soon. We're finishing out the podcast for the year with all new episodes, and we're booking guests for 2024 already, and we've got some big, cool names already booked. So, as you can tell, Papa's been busy. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. is the music i love that so much wow that song it's hard to turn that one down it's really like i didn't want to stop it but i have to because i have a show to run and uh we'll play the whole thing later but man that is a hell of a song that is the music of the escape artist lovers a band which features my guests today on the program kirk kelly and rain phoenix let me tell you a little bit about escape artist lovers kirk kelly And Rain Phoenix. All right, so Rain Phoenix was first on my radar back in, I don't know, it had to be 1990 or 1991, when she and her brother River had a band called Aleka's Attic. They had an amazing song called Across the Way on this compilation called Tame Yourself, which also featured the B 52s, the Pretenders. I think Michael Stipe did a song on there with the Indigo Girls, if I'm remembering this right. And Katie Lang was on there, too. That I'm sure of. The Texas-born Phoenix acted in TV shows like Family Ties and Amazing Stories and in movies like Even Cowgirls Get the Blues and Hitch. Rain was in the band Paper Cranes, who put out three really great albums, and she was also in the galactic country band Venus and the Moon with Chris Stills. And in 2019, she put out the stunning solo album River, which was named after her late brother. Over the years, Rain has collaborated regularly with Flea and Michael Stipe, and speaking of collaborators, that brings us to Kirk Helly. A native of Southern California, Kirk Kelly is like a music archaeologist because he knows how to dig sounds out of the deepest of grounds. A lover and studier of avant-garde music, Helly was in bands like Kelly Siblings, Deathloop Detonator, and Pink Noise Test. He also played with Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols and his band and toured with the Cramps and Iggy Pop. As far as guitar players go these days, you won't find one cooler than Kirk Kelly. Together, Phoenix and Kelly are escape artist lovers, a band who play a dizzying blend of sonorous and scruffy indie rock that, to my ears, sounds something like Beth Orton fronting the Jesus and Mary chain. The interplay between these two musicians is pure magic, and the songs, whether they're stripped back or coated in layers of fuzz and groove, are delicious slices of melodic bliss. This conversation, also melodically blissful. I really enjoyed this. So here we go. The escape artist lovers, me and Kirk Kelly and Rain Phoenix, having a conversation. Oh, and I should tell you, when we mentioned Launch Left, that's Rain's company. It's an alliance of artists who deviate from the norm and lean in on the unique. They have a podcast. It's awesome. Don't forget to check that one out. But when the show's over when the show's done, then check out the Launch left podcast. But for now, here you go on this podcast, me, Rain Phoenix, and Kurt Kelly of Escape Artist Lovers having a conversation right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
1: To start Launch Left was to identify and discover new talent that basically doesn't have the support, or whether it's financial or um, professional support, to get their music out there and to try and enlist well known people to help launch these artists um, so that they would have a bigger voice and their music might get heard. It's it's tough. Music is tough. It's been so devalued that um really it's a labor of love launch left. Um but I'm I am absolutely inspired by the artists that we've had the the luck to launch.
0: Do you prefer the collaborative um element for your music? Because I know it's it's crafted alone in your brain and then you have to bring it to somebody else. Is that is it a challenge to share? Do you enjoy that and Um, how does that process work for you guys?
1: That's
2: for you, Kirk. That's for me. It starts with you. Yeah. You know, if you have a partner that you're really, uh, confident in, you know, in their abilities and whatnot, it's, yeah, it's quite rewarding and I definitely find that in rain. So it's, it's, uh, you know, it's fun.
1: Yeah. I'm a huge collaborator. That's always been super important to me because I. I really believe that often when you share the creative, it it has the potential to be a lot better. And, you know, um, it's not always supported culturally with how people make art. Everyone kind of wants the credit. And so it's a practice for me, too, to, to make a point of that. And Kirk is absolutely um, my favorite collaborator. And we've grown so much once we decided to do escape artist lovers it's been like the floodgates open wouldn't you say
2: yeah we've written quite a bit we wrote quite a bit during covid and it's just it's uh uh it's it's just the two of us doing the writing so what's different is it's not uh well i suppose the other bands that i've been in i did a lot of the writing anyways but there's sort of less cooks in the kitchen it's kind of rain and i that you know, make all the decisions on stuff as opposed to when you have a whole band and everyone kind of weighs in on that stuff. It can get, uh, that could be a little too much collaboration sometimes <laughs> you think, I don't know, but
1: yeah, to a duo is a nice number for, um, certainly in this particular setup, it's been really, it is, it is simpler. I love to do big collaborations. I, I do that As a rule, it's kind of what Launch Left is in many ways and other bands to some extent that I've had. But it's actually been nice and more insular. And we really like each other's writing style and are very supportive, but also frank when things aren't quite what the other, you know, and we can talk about it without it becoming some egoic war. Um, it's, it's actually something that we're both, I think, have a lot of respect for each other. So it makes for good songwriting because we're open to hearing critiques and changes and, and sort of sculpting the song to, to make both of us really happy.
2: Yeah, I can't think of one, I can't think honestly think of one instance uh, where one of us had a, an issue with something that we would want it changed and looking for something else and the new thing that came out of that wasn't, uh, yeah, you got headphones on, so you can, yeah, um, and the result wasn't better than what was there originally. Don't you think? Like, Absolutely. if I'm thinking of every time we've done that, whether it's changing a word or changing a, a musical element, like, it's always just been for the better. It just worked out that way. It may be frustrating in the moment, because you're like, oh, I invested time in doing it this way, and... Mm. But the end results always better with, with the two of us. It's not always like that in collaborations, but it is, it is when, uh, her and I are working together.
0: Are you better at taking a note? Um, now that you're at this point in your life, in other words, like in, in your twenties, this is for both of you. Um, cause when I was in my twenties, if I got a note, it would, it would sting a bit. <laughs> my ego was in the way for sure. Um, it took me 30 more years to get rid of it, but I finally did. Um, <laughs> but and that so it's easier to receive note, a note from somebody. Um do you find that it's easier now at this point in life or were you always good at at taking a note?
1: I think with age comes wisdom for sure and um there's just a fire in the youth of your 20s most 20 you know I look back and go wow I really thought I knew everything and I remember my parents being like oh you'll see when you get older that you don't know everything and and now Um, I see that in other, you know, younger artists, too. It's like they're so sure they know what's best. It's hard to um, influence them to look at things a different way. So, yeah, I think obviously age uh, factors in. But again, I think um, in this case, because I have so much respect for Kirk as a songwriter and musician, it's really easy to take notes from Kirk because I trust him that, if he's like, mm, maybe not that lyric, this reminds me of this, or, you know, then I will just change it and I don't, I, am I right or am I fibbing? Do I, am I pain in the ass to
3: work with? No,
2: <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, that would just recently happened that, well, that, sorry. that example on, uh, yeah, I like what we have now better than what it, what it was. Um, w- with my day job, you know, I'm always taking notes and have to adjust and as a, uh, Sort of a constant state of collaboration, so I have to say that although, yeah, taking so I have to take notes well, and because I'm in a service industry as a studio musician, but um, you know, so yeah, there there is an element too to it, taking notes from Rain's one thing, but taking notes from the outside, like if I feel confident in in what we're doing and how we want to present something, you know, uh you know, it's kind of, I'll stand my ground too. You know what I mean? Especially from, you know, like, uh, I mean, the music industry is constantly changing, but what it's not changing is different things that industry people might say, you know? So if I have a strong idea about how something should be, I kind of don't give a fuck about what, you know, anyone else thinks in a way. You know what I mean?
0: I do. And it sounds also like maybe it's, you might feel a little bit constricted in the day job because you don't have the freedom to swing as wildly as he would with, with rain.
2: That's quite true. Yeah. That's an, and that's another reason why I, I I'm happy to like, you know, flex that muscle where it's not, you know, I'm just completely, you know, doing what someone else, you know, they have the final say in it. You know, I like having the rain. And I like having the final say on what we do
0: is it a studio musician, somebody who, um, plays on records, but doesn't get billed. Is that how that works? Or is it trickier than that?
2: Well, uh, no, it's, it's t- tricky in today's day and age because there's no liner notes.
3: Right. <laughs> oh, I can't I hear him anymore. Right. If
2: you do that. I don't
3: hear you do this. What?
2: I'm- um, so, uh, yeah, and then oftentimes, like for movies and stuff, yeah, I'm not credited.
0: So you don't totally, it's not as, when we were growing up, you'd look at the albums and look at all the names of the people, and it's different now.
2: Right, yeah, I know. As a kid, I used to pore over those notes and say, who produced this? Who played on this? And uh, yeah, just that, that whole thing just doesn't exist anymore. The artwork, everything's everything's different now.
0: I remember staring at the first Smith's album when I was like 15 and going like, Paul Carrick from Squeeze was on this album? It like blew my <laughs> mind. I was like, how is that even legal? Um, <laughs> but you, you know, you're right. The liner notes would give you a, a, like a roadmap into making all these cool connections. But um, with you guys now, do you feel that, because you've locked in to this great creative partnership, are you more prolific now than, than ever? Could we say this is like a really great creative moment for the two of you as a as a duo uh
1: yeah i'll chime in and say yes it is a really great creative moment uh it's probably my favorite collaboration and i hope it doesn't stop anytime soon we're just we keep writing and that's super fun that um the inspiration just keeps coming you know and now that we know we work together so well I, i don't see any chance of it ending anytime soon we've got so much material in different stages of completion and um it's exciting to think of sort of all the different um formats that we can release it and then you know starting to think about that more and brainstorm how that might play play out for now we're kind of just in the singles game because Mm. you know we're not set on an exactly what record and it just doesn't seem like um We're at the level, I don't think anyone even knows about us yet. So until like we build an audience, I don't feel like us releasing a full record would do any good. It would just disappear like most records do.
2: We have the material to do it, but yeah, like Ryan said, it's like you drop it and then, well, that's it. Unless you have just a ton of promo behind it. So people are aware that it even exists, you know?
0: I guess that was always a risk that an album would come out and then it might go into the bargain bin, right? It might it might disappear, but now it literally disappears. Like it's a total different species of vanishing. And um and it's it's this sounds dramatic, but it's a little bit scary to think that you could create something um that you put so much time into and it literally could just not materialize I guess is the way of thinking about it that's such a weird way to think about art
2: yeah I mean these days you have to it seems like you really just have to do it because you love it and because you need to because that's like why you're here is to create and and do it you know because you're certain we're certainly not getting rich doing it
0: when we were kids it was like Chicago 19 I can't I'm not sure a band is going to be around long enough these days to put out 19 albums the way it was in the 80s or early
1: 90s
2: yeah true that's very true
1: yeah I mean in terms of financial support for musicians and um, anyone who's not supported like you're paying to play and that's not sustainable you know so it's no wonder bands disappear every day that had all the right intentions and maybe made a great album but they had zero support financially and also just like there is you know I've learned that because we have a label side to what we do at Launch Left but because I don't I'm not sort of like most labels it's really an imprint label And it's not like connected to all the streamers and the playlisters and all of that. So I can only do so much, you know, I can, I can help artists, hopefully get to the point where they're noticed, and then someone else can actually sign them and have those relationships that take it up from there. Mm. Because it's really, it's kind of monopolized by even in the indie world, um, bless them all. And I'm like, you know, I think it's, I love a lot of indie labels and what they're doing, but they're connected and that's why they're able to keep doing it. But I'm sure for them, they would, if they were on this podcast, they'd be, they'd be speaking their woes about how much money is lost every year investing in artists because it's also just, you know, a hundred thousand songs get uploaded a day on Spotify. I mean, who's, I'm not sure there's enough ears to listen, much less, much less money to promote and you know, all of that. So it's, it's really interesting what's happened. I think, you know, I hope, I think it's true. Kirk always talks with me about just sort of how it was done in the nineties. And I remember in a small way, but I didn't do it quite as robustly as he did is how important it is just to play and invite all your friends out and try to build in a really grassroots way and so that's what we're doing right now here in LA. Um and it's been cool. You know, it's difficult because self-promotion. I can promote another band all day long, but trying to promote our band is I always feel a little bit like eh, you know, a little icky. <laughs> but but it really um it means so much that, you know, we've had packed houses the last few shows. And so whatever we're doing is working enough. And to me, like, that's a win. Like, so far, we're successful. You know, there's a lot of bodies in the room, and they're all bopping their head. Okay, we've made it. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's my expectations are lowered from, uh, you know, the there basically, I, early aughts, it was over, like the way that I knew it. And and that was when I first released my first work musically was in the early aughts, like right when it crashed. So, I've really only ever known this weird dysmorphia that's happened to the music industry. But I also think there's a lot of opportunity there, a lot of opportunity to go back to the basics and back to building audience in a in an organic way. And um, touring seems unsustainable, you know, short of great gigs with really well-known artists in a good opening slot. But my guess is that would still be almost a pay to play when you have to bring a band and travel. So it's not that it's, uh, you know, necessarily a win monetarily, but it can help get more listeners and that can build, you know. But it is, it's really tough out there. And so, you know, we're we're just, we're experimenting ourselves in this new, in this new landscape.
0: Does it feel weird what you were saying to sort of, promote your own, your own work feels like, just feel like a weird thing to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was also a big part of the impetus with Launch Left was like, we'll help promote these artists who are sometimes just bedroom creators, you know, who would never post about themselves. They're so shy that they, you know, they just can't help but make art and they're passionate about it. So, you know, how can we sound out what they're doing so they don't have to? And they can just repost it and but um so yeah, for me it is the most difficult uh part of it is that piece of like, Come hear my band.
0: (laughs) Yeah, come hear my band.
1: See me play, you know, and posting all the time. I mean, I've gotten some advice which is just do it anyway and do it too much, way more than you think like let everyone roll their eyes, but honestly, the way the algorithm works, nobody's seeing it anyway. Like you have to keep going for the chance that one time someone sees that you were playing or that your albums come out or singles. So I've, I've been trying that out and as best I can, I still think I fail compared to most. Um, it's, it's a, it's just, it's not ideal. Self-promotion is my, yeah, (laughs) it's not ideal.
0: Some people love it. Some people are really
1: (laughs) good at it. Some people are really good at it,
3: yeah. I know.
0: I know. I know. And that's the, um, and some people are very, uh, you know, it's uncomfortable for them. And there's that sort of middle ground. Were you, for the two of you, was there ever a a period of time where you weren't creating music, where you had like fallow years or um, where you put it down for a bit, like, and, and if so, how did that, if you weren't creating, were you still thinking about creating? And is that also part of the process?
2: Yeah, no, I, uh, I've never had a period like that. <laughs> Music is all I've ever done. Um, so yeah, there's never been a time like that. I'm not someone when I'm writing songs, I, I know colleagues and friends that um, will set aside time every day to write no matter what. Um, I'm not like that so much. I mean, I'm always playing music, but, uh, thankfully, however songs, you know, floating in the air come down to me, It it's, there's never really been uh, a long lull for that not happening. So it's just, you know, yeah, I, I can't really, I, no, there's never been a time period like that for me.
1: Um, because I do so many things. Uh yeah, I I honestly don't I full disclosure, I'm probably like in some ways the worst musician and songwriter there is because Why? Well, I I just you know, I guess everybody's different, but I don't rehearse, I don't hone my craft, I don't sit and write down words that might be good in a lyric. I kind of fully and have always called the muses, so to speak, you know, by, which usually to me is a melody, um, some musical melody that prompts me to want to write. And then when I'm writing, I can't stop and it just comes. So that sort of always worked for me as this sort of, um, I get a piece of music, like Kirk will send me a song um, and I'll just, start to hear lyrics in my head, and I'll start writing to it. Um, But I can go an entire year if we're not like, we've been working a lot. And I've been writing a lot because of that. But prior to this, it had been since my record River, basically, you know, so and that was 2019. And so I focused on Launch Left and on other things that I was doing to promote and help other artists. Uh, I do a lot of things that aren't visible to in that world, um, helping to promote the um, through the label and all these things that are much more admin, uh, sort of almost, you know, from that vantage and they're definitely two different hats, but I can, I can switch hats really quickly. So if a song comes in and I feel something for it, I, I can write pretty quickly, right?
2: Yeah. Very quickly. It just, it just comes to you.
1: Yeah, I guess that's my process, but I always feel somewhat ashamed compared to other musicians who just.
0: I think that makes you one of the best because that's not an easy thing to do. That's really hard.
1: Well, thank you. I hope. I hope that's. I don't know if I'm one of the best, but I'm glad to hear that you're not just like you're a loser. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <but> that's
0: it. <laughs> um. But were you always, like, would you scribble down, like, phrases or little bits of poems? Would you do some writing, even if you didn't think it was for a song?
1: Um, Yeah, I do. I like to write poetry. And honestly, because I've been, like, managing social media somewhat through the process of Launch Left, I have other people doing it, but I'm sort of coming up with a copy and And also on my own. And so it's like I've learned to do these short ways of like, I love wordsmithing and I love poetry and I love kind of like the medicine in words that you can unlock people with words. uh, You know, if, if you're skillful. And so I really enjoy that. And lyric writing is this like play on words, wordsmithing stream of consciousness um, and often that's how I write is really, it just kind of comes and then I hone and edit and find the right word. And I love it so much when I'm doing that, that is what I'm in and I love it, but I kind of like pivot so much that it's not, it's not a daily practice.
0: I teach college for a living and I had my students listen to this band that I've fallen in love with called dad nerves. And they, They're like the Misfits meets the Beach Boys. That's how I can, this British band. They're fantastic. And I had them listen to one song. I wanted them to analyze the lyrics. The song is two and a half minutes long. And I said to this student, he was talking to me about the song. And I said, did you listen to it? He said, I listened to half of it, right? And I thought, it's two and a half minutes long. It's literally two and a half minutes. So you listen to what, 40, 50, 60 seconds of it. Um, And I started thinking about my own attention span and how, the internet has really screwed it up and it's changed the way I used to sit down and listen to, you know, like police's ghost in the machine from start to finish and savoring it like a novel, a beginning a middle and an end is what it felt like. Yeah. Have you found that your own attention spans have been altered? Am I alone in this or do you, do you feel you that it's also not alone. required your brain? You,
1: you can count probably nearly 9 billion people. <laughs> As as also having that I mean, although um, anyone who's not in, you know, social media land, less so and I think that's why I want to turn it over to Kirk because Kirk refuses and has always to do social media and I do think he has a, you know, a patience in that way for art that I do don't as much I equally can listen to like the first 30 seconds know if I like it or don't and move (laughs) on from just about anything that I need to listen to or you know if I like it I'll listen to the whole thing you know if I feel like you know it's important that I know it's out there I'll listen to it but time is so compressed it just is and there's and there's so much output creative output that's coming out every day. And it's just overwhelming. I have a friend who says that he listens to every single that comes out every day. And, but he does like playlisting and all these things, you know, and, and he, he's like, it is daunting, but I need to know what's out there. And I'm so impressed because I could not do that. But Kirk, any any insights on no social media and attention span because I'm curious myself.
2: Well, yeah, I don't mm, yeah, I don't know if today's uh the way things are today has altered my uh, attention span actually because I don't do you know, Instagram or Facebook or whatever all that stuff. <laughs> so I don't I'm I'm not on my phone in that way like like most people are, you know. Uh, what, what I do miss, but it's more a product of, of age and just being busy is recreational listening. Like you were talking about listening. Would you say the police go, uh, or, yeah, right. What, whatever your yeah example yeah. was, I, I, man, do I miss that? Cause I can't, I mean, that's all I did as a kid besides playing, uh, music, guitar, whatever was, was listening to records just from start to finish with headphones in the dark, <laughs> in my at my parents house in my bedroom and um I miss doing that but that's just that's just more there's just not enough time in the day with work and everything else that's going on and I'm constantly writing myself so but I yeah but as far as attention span goes yeah I I don't do any of that other stuff so it it hasn't really changed the way I do things
1: he does do Venmo and um <laughs> And so be careful out there because you may get a message late at night where he comments on your recent massage or...
2: Well, what's funny is because, yeah, because everyone's on social media. So every... Like you'll be at like an event, a party or a dinner or something, and everyone's on their phones thumbing through... <laughs> whatever they're doing. I don't know if it's right. Instagram or what. So I'll get out my phone, and open up Venmo and you have Venmo, right? You know, that you can see like who paid what for who, and then it says yeah. what you paid the money for. And then you can actually comment on it or like it. So I started just randomly doing that harding different random things. And <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the stranger features I've ever seen in social media. If we can count a money transferring platform as social media, which I think we can where where if your friends this one on Venmo and they get a massage, you you know, you know they did and you know how much they paid for it. That seems really intrusive to me. I'm surprised that function ever made it past the board meeting.
2: I don't know why everybody just wants to tell everybody what they're doing all the time. I'd be mortified if everyone knew what I was doing all the time. You know I, what i mean? What I
0: want to do, Kirk? I wanna screw with people. I wanna say it. Alex Green just got a massage and have the massage be two dollars and thirty cents. <laughs>
3: <laughs> just to see what they'll say
2: like. that's
3: awesome <laughs> right <You should. laughs> yeah all my places gone everywhere i've been thinking fast but i'm moving slow
0: Anything from the Cramps when you played with them? Did you was there anything you picked up from from those characters that was uh, just in terms of the way they executed their game? Was that was that anything that you picked up on anything with them?
2: Oh yeah, they're a they're amazing. I mean, I I met a lot of bands of that ilk playing with uh with Steve Jones when I was quite young too. So yeah, all that had a huge influence and the Cramps. Uh, we're right up there. We play with a number of different people I got to meet through through Steve, you know. Iggy Pop, he'd often come up and sing Anarchy with us or something. Yeah, it's awesome.
0: Yeah, I. I it's interesting to me that it's a rare – to be able to keep the company of people like that, you know, the Cramps, Iggy Pop, um, Steve, you know, from The Pistols, like, holy cow. Um, were you ever intimidated? But <laughs> I just the thought of it intimidates me.
2: You know what? Uh, no, and that's come not coming from an egotistical place. It, it, no, I, and I I don't know why. <laughs> I guess it's because I just don't really know how to do anything else, except for music. So it's it's like my comfort level's good. What what I'm uncomfortable with is a lot of, um, I, I yeah I don't do a lot of social interaction outside of like playing gigs and stuff like that. You know so. Like without a guitar in my hand, like, you know, it's a bit, you know, and even stuff like this is, you know, I don't really do a lot of it. So rain does, rain's a lot better and all that stuff.
1: I've had to learn to be, I mean, yeah, you know, you know, cause you are now hosting a podcast, obviously, that you have to be able to talk to people.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I did my first interview with the band when I was 16. I interviewed this band called Slovenly. Oh, they're on SST records. I used to work for a metal radio station in high school. Wow. So I started doing this really young and I, um, you know, so it was a trial by fire and I was really scared back, you know, back then. So it took years to, to become not so scared. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, Someone was asking me how I would describe your band, and I and I, I said it's a it's a storm of steadiness because I love the the mix. There's like this kind of like this My Bloody Valentine, Mary Chain kind of beautiful, fuzzy thing happening, even when it's understated. And then there's a steadiness of the vocals, and the it's just a the mix is beautiful. I love that sort of the interplay between both those different kinds of sonic um, approaches um i mean that's it's not even a question i just love what you guys do so that's more more than anything else i think what you do is so cool um when you first started kind of marrying these styles was it clear was it apparent from the beginning almost like like falling in artistic love where it's like this is gonna work like this is it wasn't there's any growing pains it was like this is just happening
1: Kirk, you you got to answer this. That's all, Kirk. I mean, why is it all me? <laughs> well, because you created the, all the you know the music and the sounds and and I, I didn't you know I I sit in on mix obviously and things and Rob Campanella is our mix engineer for this stuff and he's really amazing too and he and Kirk worked together a long time um, so there's this kind of shorthand they have about the final outcome um, but Kirk is really the producer and craftsman of that sound. And I think it's, in many ways, it's your, it's, it's, it's your signature. He's the architect. <laughs> in, in the coolest sense, like it's, it's something or just that, I don't know, you have this ability to marry um, fuzz and grunginess and, and distortion and yet melodic hooky melody and clarity you know like a you know a sense of like kind of what you said like what did you say A storm that's steady yeah I feel like Kirk you're a total ace at that that's your I don't know it's certainly been a joy to get tracks into me and they're fully formed when Kirk does a demo I mean most bands would put it out like the (laughs) demo I get (laughs) I'm like, this is better than most records I hear come through for submissions. It's just fully formed already, you know. So he, uh, over the years, has told me that his process is really uh, also kind of that muse process where things get, he has dreams about a song fully formed, and then he executes them in real life. And so... I would just say that's all Kirk, all the things you like about it. Maybe you like my voice a little, but I love your voice, right? It's all Kirk. I love your
0: voice, and I love your lyrics, too.
2: So do I. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned, uh, like, the shoegaze stuff. Uh, but I think Rain and I both love the bands um, that they listen to as well. Uh, like v- Velvet Underground, the Velvets were, are huge for us. And you know, they're one of those early bands who used uh, you know, kind of noisy elements as with within the structure of like a pop song. And um that had a huge influence, uh, Lee and Nancy, um and then I should sit and you know, all that stuff. So I don't think uh like the way that we write too is not it's super rare where something is written on an electric guitar. Like most things are written on a piano or acoustic. Um, And all the, the stuff that that comes around it, um, you know, is just sort of that, that sonic blanket. And that happens on a per song thing. There's not like some uh, template, you know, for it, but liking a lot of like, you know, can. And like I said, Neubot and a lot of that stuff, it just, yeah, it's just I, you know i don't know about you rain but i i haven't really changed my writing style the way i write music since i started like it's always it's it's kind of always been you know the same
1: that's that was that was a short version of what i was trying to say <laughs> 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 yeah and i think the combination cuz i really haven't changed my style which is mostly stream of consciousness based off melody and what i feel for something or hearing, you know, and this, this time the differences in previous times, I I usually write the vocal melody, but this time, I guess a few songs I've written the vocal melody, but Kirk will send me it with a melody, which is new for me. And it was challenging for a time. Um, but the kind of challenge that thankfully I overcame and was, and love the outcome. Like it's, I don't know that I, you know, would have, it's the melodies are more um probably more accessible than ones i would have come up with mm. you know they're ones people can really sing along with as a vocalist too i can do things that are more flowery or difficult and so in a good way this has kept me in a in a more universal vocal space so that people can sing along you know the having having had Kirk write the melodies. So I've learned a lot doing it that way. At first, it was really challenging because melody comes to me with the word stream of consciousness. So then I had to retrain my brain to find the words to a melody that was already part of the track. And that was like, that was the learning curve that really, um, was off-putting at first, and I'm sure I was a <laughs> pain in the ass for a minute there, just trying to get used to it. But um, the, now I'm super pleased with the outcome, and it's so fun to write to, like I said, more accessible melodies that I feel like more people can sing along, not so vocalist because I tend to write more difficult things that I like to do, because my voice can do it, you know?
2: Well, yeah, Rain's a real singer. She can sing all that Tommy York kind of melodies and stuff. I certainly can't do that, and I've never written that way. But there's no hard and fast rule in, on how we write. There, uh, My writing process, I'd say, like, 90 95% of the time is I hear the melody first, and then I just, you know, quickly figure out what, harmony what chords support that and um that's just since i was a kid i've written like that like i hear the melody first and then i've you know so a lot of times i'm giving her stuff that has that but not all the time um but uh uh what comes naturally to me is that like i'll hear the melody figure out the chords and then you know there's the song and then i'll like i said all the sonic dressing just comes after the fact. But if we don't, if it doesn't sound good, just on acoustic guitar and, and us singing it, then it's, uh, you know, it just goes in the bin straight away. Thankfully, there's not too many of those. We haven't had too many false starts.
0: How does all um, that texture come on stage? Like, how does it present itself on stage? Do you have to leave some of it behind because there's the constraints of a live set or is it easy to duplicate?
2: Uh, well, we're lucky to have a fantastic band. Um, and our other guitar player, Marco takes on a lot of the more intricate stuff I can't do cause I'm singing the entire time, uh, with rain as well. So the more intricate stuff he has to do, uh, you know, so most bands these days play with, with backing tracks, mm. uh, it's like they hit the space bar and then half the music is, is already there. Like so many people do that these days. We, we don't do that. The the most we do is I have a I have a Casio guitar from the early '80s in Japan that's got a cassette player built into it, uh, and sometimes I'll play cassettes through that, and we'll play along to that. But uh, you know, in a way, it's almost a piss take on people using tracks today because it's incredibly lo-fi, and you know, thankfully that's to our liking anyway. That 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 sonic quality.
0: What an image! A, a cassette player and a guitar.
2: Yeah, Casio E five.
0: That's pretty cool. Um, uh, the live shows is are they? Do you feel pretty in the pocket? Is it nerve wracking to get on stage and and do this, or do you feel pretty comfortable in a up there?
2: I feel uh, pretty comfortable. It's challenging in that, uh, like I said, Rain's an actual real singer, and she sings she belts out and I'm a bit quieter. So sometimes it's challenging getting the vocal balance, uh, right. But as far, and like I said, we have a fantastic band. So, uh, um, you know, and it's, it's yeah. So no, I don't, I feel comfortable. And, and going back to your other question too, as, as far as, uh, replicating the studio recordings we don't have like we don't try to replicate every little sound like live's a different thing and i like the spontaneity of of certain things i mean everyone's got like kind of a bit of a role to play but within that there's there's moments where people can stretch a little bit we're starting to have that more and more in the in the set too um and we purposely went about doing putting this band together in a way that wasn't very muso and very uh we wanted that. So a bit of that ramshackle replacements kind of vibe. Do you remember their performance on SNL?
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the trouble.
2: Yeah. I mean, but I, but I love that. And I, we actually, that was actually a thought in putting this together. Not that we fall apart like that, but it's like the chance that that could happen is exciting to me. You know what I mean? That's some of the best moments these days when you go see a show is when something fucks up because everything is just so, Everyone's so worried about everything being so precise and so this and that and
3: boring. Those,
2: yeah, those times when things there's mistakes yeah. and things fuck up. That's some these days. It's some of the best times, you know, the best moments in the set. I've seen a band.
0: Yeah, the replacements are a great example because they could be brilliant one night mm. and they could be incoherent the next night. <laughs> I,
2: I mean- can't. Yeah, I can't think. I think I would have to think almost all my favorite artists are like that going to extremes. I mean, you know, like even Hendrix was kind of like that, you know, you hear bootleg tapes and he was shit. I didn't know that. Oh yeah. Like he's just, just wasn't on. I mean, you know, he's obviously brilliant. All my people that I love are or were, but, uh, you know, everyone, but the people that go out and take chances like that and go out on a limb, there's more chance for it to be shit, you know? But that's what's exciting about it is you just don't know exactly what's gonna happen.
0: Yeah. So that kind of installs the electricity into the moment, right? Cause it cause you sort of don't know.
2: Mm, yeah, I say so.
0: Yeah. Are you um particularly hard on yourselves after a gig? Do you do you kind of go, well, that went well or or how do you how do you how do you decompress or debrief or do you or is it even necessary to do that?
2: uh, Jameson in a word. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty hard. Yeah. I'm pretty hard. I hear every little mistake all the time. <laughs> and, you know, going back to what I said, it's like, you want to just be free and do what you want. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, I take notes, mental notes. I'm like, Oh, that wasn't great. Or that was this or that, or so I'm pretty hard. I think I'm pretty hard on myself. I, Me what about too. You?
1: No. Yeah. yeah. I can, uh, I hear, every, you know, anytime I mess up, it's like, I feel like the show, you know, suffer, like, oh, I've, I messed up the show, you know, there and so I try not to get too down that road, because then I can't even enjoy, like, enjoy the rest of the night, you know what I mean? So I really yeah. try to catch myself, and all that is, is sort of being, in a way, I remind myself that that's a, another form of being self-involved, even if it's beating yourself up, it's like, who cares? Like that was a moment in time. You missed the guitar intro. No one knows. And even if they do, they forgive you and forgive yourself kind of thing, you know? Um, but I do hear everything and I so wish we lived in a world where bands could rehearse, you know, three times a week and there was money for all musicians to do what they need to do. And there was, you know, tours were easy and we could, hone your live set to a point where it's just pure fuego. But you know, that's not always the case. That said, we really do have a killer band, um, Sage and Marco and Kevin and Friedman. They all, uh, Friedman helps out just like making sure to pass all the guitars and he kind of texts for us, but he's basically like the, the sixth eel member. Um, but yeah, I feel like without, that we have like a good vibe we have a good band together so we we might notice mess ups we might experience like oh could have been perfect and it wasn't but that's not life and there is an excitement around what can go wrong i agree with kirk completely and
2: um well the but one of the the bummers is is though these days people with their phones can just film everything so Mm. you know it's like I try not to think about that because if you think about it too much, you probably don't want to take that chance on stage and go for something that you don't know if you're going to land uh, because then it can just be up on YouTube for all eternity. <laughs> right, right, So So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's certain places I'll go to where it's like there's a big rule, like you can't use your phone to record, like some jazz clubs and stuff or, because people want to stretch out and just they don't want to have to worry about their clams being – you know available for everyone to listen to forever you know what i mean so that's kind of a bummer but i try not to think about that if i did it would probably interfere too much with trying to uh just you know make things perfect and you know i don't like that i don't like music that's like that. i don't like anything that's like that
0: i heard of a i can't remember who it was but it was a, a comic and he was saying that he was just trying to work out some stuff just work out a set um, and help help refine it, take it live, and see what worked, what didn't work. And someone filmed it and put it on YouTube. And the, the set wasn't great because it was still rough. And he was being judged on that as a final product when in fact he was just sort of testing it out. This is a couple of years ago. And what you're saying makes me really sympathetic to the artist, where it's like you feel like you're always being documented, um, and so it might make risk taking feel a little bit, um, you know, less you know, less inviting as maybe it would have 30 years ago. And that kind of sucks, actually. even th- I never thought about that before.
1: I think it's interesting you say that because I think we may have just f- discovered why everybody's on backing tracks. It's oh, like yeah. because they need it to be perfect for social media. <laughs> like there are no more risk takers because if one clam or the, you know, mess up or, you know, the only wrinkle with that is like if somebody messes up the tracks or they skip or something, right. And then the whole thing is downhill, you know, but I've seen so many artists lately ones that I was excited for and respect and, and they, they had a band, but they, it was all, but then there was backing track. Like it felt like it was like double, like they had everything on backing tracks and then a band that looked like they were playing or they were contributing little bits. But really, so much of it was safe. And I just like having had this conversation, I'm like, Oh, my gosh, that makes sense, though. It needs to sound good for your iPhone in vertical, that someone's holding up and capturing like they need to know that what they hoped would be out there is basically out there because it's exactly what was on the record.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're right about that, and I think that like I look at stuff and they'll say, oh well, I guess so and so can't play guitar very well anymore, and you're like, good god, the guy, what are you doing? <laughs> um, it just it just seems like it's a cruel world out there, and it seems like the artist is now you're right, like very aware of how that could go um, and be received, and so the the experimental part of being an artist seems like it's not as um, embraced because of because of that.
2: Isn't there, there's a lot of comics, don't they like make you check your like Chappelle and stuff? You have to like leave your phone Mm -hmm. at like a code check situation or something like, so you can't, you you can't film them and upload it before they've got, they've got it polished or or before their Netflix special comes out or whatever.
1: I say, yeah, one day maybe we'll have enough power (laughs) to do that, to be like, oh yeah, we'll play your venue, but, um, when everyone has to check their phone at the door you know, and then we can actually just have an experience in real time with people. And, you know, that that element of surprise and accident and risk. That's what I think all our heroes, why they're our heroes is because they didn't give a fuck and they did what came to them in the moment. And, you know, they cared about connecting and they cared about music. But they weren't afraid to risk, you know, to try new things. And I do think that that's something that's been lost in the social media era. Although I don't want to wax, you know, old, you know, either. I'm really, I'm, I kind of like appreciate the technology and whatever the kids are into. I'm like, let's, you know, George Clinton said it best. He's like, you just got to follow the kids, follow what they're doing, even if it's foreign to you, you know, and you don't, think it's cool they they're the next generation of what's going to happen so well maybe you know, but
2: we don't follow that we just do what we want to do
1: well yeah <laughs> i don't mean follow as in make your art like theirs but i mean i've I've accepted technology in in the sense that i'm not just gonna only be nostalgic as my position in life right, right. that's what i right.
3: mean
2: well i was just going to say that thing about I, I just was thinking about it as rain was talking when you know, uh, it, you just like, it's just nice when people are in the moment and you're playing live right on stage and the audience is like with you. And I feel like if they're using their phones to film you, they're just, uh, you know, and they can watch it later or whatever, but it's just so cool. If everyone's just in the moment and you're taking that journey together, you know what I mean? And, um, yeah, I mean, I just, it, it's just nice when that can really happen. I feel like we had a moments even the other night like that on stage where the audio, you know, like in baby, you're a bad blues. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, you really felt people taking that journey with you. And that's, that's a cool thing about live music, you know, with true live music, <laughs> not yeah. just playing to, to tracks, you know? And, and that's the other thing too. I realize that sometimes maybe people do it just because of money. Cause they can't afford to bring out a big band. And that's uh, my opinion on that is like, well, maybe, that's just my opinion, but maybe you should just reinterpret the songs uh, into a a format. That's if you only have two people, then adjust it. So it's, it can be performed for two people, you know, or you do the thing like Brian Wilson would do and just have an enormous band, not play the tracks, but have everyone actually playing and singing in real time. And it's, it's just beautiful.
0: Yeah. That didn't look cheap.
2: No, (laughs) no, no, not at all. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, and Rain, I think you're right. I think nostalgia is not, I mean, it's not the best position to to take on things, right? It's like, I don't miss eight tracks or OP shorts, you know, it's, <laughs> I'm fine with that, with the being gone. But I do like the idea of embracing trend, um, but I, I also think that we've, we've just sort of snapped so far to this one direction that um, those people filming, like, for example, I went and saw a ride. A couple years ago and um I was it was at the Warfield here in San Francisco and the whole like 100 people in front of me were filming it, and I thought how many of those people are going to go home and actually watch what they're filming I'll bet they don't they just feel they possess it now and they own it and they don't they don't have to possession has become the new way of watching it you don't have to watch it anymore because they know they have it mm. um and that really to me was like was the moment where i went wow it's it's all happening through it's very science fiction in some kind of weird way but i like the idea of putting the phones in a basket and just saying let's just enjoy this moment and then get you can do the phone thing later both can exist
2: yeah yeah exactly i know
1: yeah. I, I get nervous when all the phones come out like it's just like I immediately have to just go just let it go because it's it's you know, it's like being on camera is not always fun, especially if you don't know where it's gonna land, you know. Um I mean I feel really grateful though to be in a band with Kirk because even as we're talking about all this risk and, you know, critique on mess ups, like he musical directs every, you know moment really of the show so that every band member knows what instrument they're jumping on, what they're doing. We've all, it's so organized. And honestly, you know, any of the, the grammed videos I've seen, I've been very proud of. (laughs) So, so that's lucky, you know, but I think that has a lot to do with his preparation and his organized way and just like how he MDs, how to get five people to make the sound of like, I don't know, probably like 15 different instruments he's played on a on a song. So it's pretty impressive.
0: Is it probably wise to have the goal here to be that there are no goals and to just just keep creating and just keep producing music and just sort of see what happens? Or do you try to commandeer the ship in a certain direction?
1: Yes, to your, your first, to part A of your thing. It is better to just do it for the sake of doing it. Kirk has taught me a lot about that. The, the B part. The other option, I inevitably, because of my work, like promoting and thinking about and, you know, marketing, thinking about how I can't help but put a little bit of that like aspirational work into, okay, if we get from point A to point B, how do we aim for C and what, you know, I just, my brain works like that. Probably better with other bands than my own, to be honest, just because then I'm not in it. And as soon as I'm in it, there's just that extra added self-reflection piece that makes me not want to do it at all, you know, in terms of plan. Um, So uh, Kirk's been a really wonderful influence on me in that way. He always reminds me like, and, and allies my stress around, you know, shows or, or people coming or what, you know, all the things that anyone would stress about because he's like hey we're doing what we're doing because we believe in it and that's like let's start there and everything else will like happen or it won't at the end of the day it's a very strange landscape so let's not no hopes up but let's do it for all the right reasons and so he'll kind of keep me there because the the label part of me can't help but try to like look one one leap in the future you know try to but it's not fun like it's stressful so I always yeah. appreciate when he kind of recenters me and then I breathe deeply and I'm like, all oh, right, that's that's what we're doing. We're just having fun. We're playing music together. We're writing songs. We're sharing it with our friends. We'll see what happens and not get too tied up. That's my answer.
2: Well, thank God Rain has that skill set, to, though, too. <laughs> Even though it might be annoying to you. Like, I don't have that at all. Like, I, I'm not really... I'm always hoping business goes well, you know, but, uh, yeah, I'm just, I know I'm not good at it. I don't really spend much, a whole lot of time thinking about it. You know, I'm always, there's always the new song that I'm chasing and and recording and it's, you know, yeah, that's what sustains me.
0: (laughs) Well, I think you guys are fantastic and I'm so grateful that you took the time to chat with me. I, I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, you too. It's a pleasure.
2: Very nice of you to uh, have us on. We appreciate it.
0: Well, I hope you'll come back and happy Thanksgiving to both of you. Thank you. To you as well.
1: And I just want to plug that you can find us everywhere at Escape Artist Lovers on social media. And uh, we have three singles out right now. Maybe by the time you hear this, I don't know when it's coming out. There'll be another And uh, in December, we're playing the last three, the Bobby Lee shows here in California, their last three shows ever, according to them, because touring has become um, unsustainable, but they're a massively wonderful band. We get so excited when we see them, so we feel so lucky to be direct support on those, also with Grace McKagan, Um, and that's December... Yeah, December 14, 15, 16 in Los Angeles area. So find everything at Escape Artist Lovers.
0: go Rain Phoenix and Kirk Kelly of Escape Artist Lovers I love that conversation we figured some things out we uh we actually got to the bottom of a thing it was very organic how we came to that conclusion rain pointed it out i actually missed it till she pointed it out then yeah she she was right we we cracked the code and uh, other codes need to be cracked but that one we solved escapeartistlovers.bandcamp.com pay it a visit Buy some music, buy some merch, go see those shows that Rain was talking about if you are in the area. AlexGreenBooks.com is where you should go to find out what's happening with me and my literary career. My new book, The Adventure Teen All-Stars, is out now. How would I describe it? I don't know. The cast of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Scooby-Doo meet inside of a Fishbone song. How about that? Find me on what's left of Twitter, at Ember's Editor, or on Instagram, at Ember's Podcast, or just email me, editor, at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Check out BombshellRadio.com to find out what makes our radio station tick. And in case you were wondering, Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. I'm sure that was the burning question inside your soul. Just as I said it, I translated your psyche right here on the podcast. Yes, we are available On all podcast platforms, go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate and review, and tell all your friends. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Follow the Leader by Escape Artist Lovers. Enjoy it. And thank you, as always, for listening. To Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell
3: Radio. I'm should...